0: Welcome to Gratitude,
1: the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Gabby. And I'm Sarah. And we are two physical therapy students on our journey to get that DPT debt free.
0: And our vision for you is to get through PT school on your first try without any debt.
1: Join us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together.
0: Welcome to another episode of Gratitude, everyone, and for today, we are really excited to bring you all this very special episode with Rob from Student Loan Planner, and we are so excited for this, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
2: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course, and first and foremost, we'd love to hear, and I know our listeners would love to hear, like, what is Student Loans Planner, and how did you kind of get started in it?
2: Sure. Well, Student Loan Planner was started about four years ago and by Travis Hornsby, and basically his, his wife at the time was his girlfriend, was trying to figure out how to handle her med school debt. And student loan rules ha- are so confusing that um, he thought, well, let me just see if I can figure it out on my own. So he did a really deep dive into the rules, and he's kind of an Excel whiz, so he put together this awesome calculator and figured out the best way for his girlfriend at the time to pay back her loans. And from then his girlfriend was like, this is awesome. Like, let me get some of my friends to do it. And, um, so then I, and I joined student loan planner three years ago. So a year after he had started and we were just in a, in a working space together. And, you know, we had been talking for a while cause I have my other business family budget expert and he was working on student loan planner and he was getting so busy that he wanted someone to help him out, uh, doing consults, one-on-one consults. So, um, I started doing that and here we are today, you know, as of, I guess, October, 2020, we've done over $1.1 billion of student debt advised on. Um, and we've helped over 40, I think it's about 4,500 individual people with their student loans. So, um, we focus on people with six figure student debt. Um, and we help them through free content on the website at studentloanplanner.com. Um, we help them through individual consults. Um and we also have some free tools and resources to help people figure out the best path to pay back their student loans.
1: That's quite amazing. And I have actually been following you guys for a while and it, I think it's really awesome. It was kind of an inspiration for myself when I started PT school. I was like there's got to be stuff out there for PT students and I came across what you guys have and it was really great. So I'm super excited for today. And can we start with I guess the biggest question PT students always have is what's the best way to fund your PT degree?
2: Right. Well, so it's obviously expensive, especially since now it's not just a master's degree. Now, many places are requiring the doctorate, right? The DPT. So that's schooling's gone from two years to three years. And um, many people come in with undergrad debt. Um, Typically it's best because when, when, when PTs graduate, they typically have, you know, they owe a lot more than what their starting salary is. Sometimes it's often twice, sometimes it's even three times what their starting salary is. And because federal student loans, they have so much flexibility and they operate so much differently than any other kind of debt out there. That was like one of the m- most important things that I picked up on was that student loan rules, they don't apply you can't apply them to like any other kind of debt out there because there's so many different ways to pay them back. Um, So I would say in terms of funding it, we want to have based upon the starting salary for PTs out there, we want to have a lot of payment flexibility. We want to have, be able to afford our payments and design the career that you want as a PT around, um, not around your student loans. You want to fit your student loan repayment around your career goals as a PT. So, For that reason, generally, federal student loans are going to be the best. So it's a combination of Stafford, Grad Plus loans, typically uh, federal direct student loans. Those are going to be the best way to go. Um, If possible, we want to avoid private student loans for for DPTs because because they don't have the payment flexibility. Those have to be paid back just like any other normal debt. Um, So, yeah, I guess, yeah, just in summary, federal student loans, if you can do it, are pretty much a great way to go.
0: That is, that is really good. And actually, if we can talk about really the time that we're in right now, still in that 0% interest rate, and what does that mean for, for students and even new grads right now who, who may be listening and we're, we're still in this uh, 0% interest for federal loans until the end of the year?
2: Right. So it's obviously a great thing because depending on how you know, businesses that, that they're working at or if they're working at in a clinical setting or, you know, in a in a private practice setting, that the zero payments and zero interest is almost like the loans are stuck in limbo. So for people that are currently in school, it doesn't really affect them that much. But for people that have maybe just graduated in April or May, they might still be in the grace period through um, November, October, November, unless they consolidated their loans beforehand. But when they exit that grace period, they will enter into the 0% zero payment forbearance, Um, but they have to pick a repayment plan in order to like get on that. So you don't, so I guess someone who's recently graduated and for someone who has been paying their loans for a while, like stay on the plan that you're on, you know, don't, uh, well, I shouldn't say stay on the plan you're on, but like if you're on an income driven plan, kind of stay the course for now, and as we exit out in December, and there's a chance that Congress could extend that even further, it's going to only save you money to kind of like let your loan sit stagnant there and not do anything.
1: And for the people who are listening and they're like, wait, what does forbearance mean for loans? Like, what is that?
2: Yeah, sure. So for, forbearance, there are basically two ways to have payments, um, you know, if, if someone can't make their payments at the time, and there's either deferment or forbearance. And forbearance is kind of like a no questions asked, like, I can't make my payments right now. Um, can, can you just suspend my payments at zero? Now, typically what happens is that the interest in normal forbearance accrues. And then when you exit forbearance, all that interest capitalizes into like the principal balance of the loan. So like it makes the loan balance greater, um, the principal balance greater when they exit forbearance. But with this CARES Act forbearance, that's not supposed to be happening. And basically the loans are stuck in limbo, zero payments, zero interest. It's almost like they're frozen in time.
1: And that sounds pretty pretty good for students uh, who are graduating soon or have just graduated. So I think that's really good that we touched on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And what about for physical therapists for student loan forgiveness options? Like what is out there for them?
2: Right. So there's well, I like to look at it kind of on a higher level. There's really two ways that we want to approach student loans for physical therapists. One is go super duper aggressive, throw all the money you can to pay off the loans as fast as you possibly can in 10 years or less. That's the aggressive approach. And typically that works for physical therapists who have loans about at the level or less of what they're earning. So if there's a more experienced PT who's earning 90000 and they owe $80,000 to loans, typically that ag- aggressive approach might work okay for them. Um, but anyone who owes m- more than what they make, which is most recently graduated physical therapists, um, there's the uh, it, it's the opposite approach. you can go on an income driven repayment plan and pay based upon your income, not based upon how much you owe. So what that does is if if someone is recently graduated, their payments could be like three to four hundred dollars a month um, or even zero depending on how they're doing that. But anyway, the point being is that Under that circumstance, we want to keep the payments as low as possible and maximize the amount that's forgiven to get to your forgiveness question. Now, there are two ways a physical therapist can get forgiveness. One is if they're on an income-driven plan, and you probably heard the terms like pay-as-you-earn, revised pay-as-you-earn, income-based repayment. All those, those payment plans, you pay based upon your income, not based upon the debt amount for either 20 or 25 years. And at the end, whatever loans are remaining, get forgiven. Now, with that, what happens is that um, that forgiven balance um, becomes sort of a taxable event. So the government forgives the loans. Let's just say it's $100,000. Then they issue you a, a 1099 tax form saying, you need to add this $100,000 in income to your tax return for that year. So they might have their employer's W-2 showing $90,000, um, and then they have the, the, um, ta- the forgiven balance of $100,000. So they'd actually report $190,000. On their income tax return, so in other words, that uh, that hundred thousand dollars of forgiven loans is taxable. So that's taxable loan forgiveness. And um, you know, now for those physical therapists who can work for a nonprofit or a government employer, you know, like the university system or a hospital system, um, then they can qualify potentially for what's called public service loan forgiveness. And what that is is you, same income driven plans. So pay as you earn, revise pay as you earn, income-based repayment, keep the payments as low as possible. The difference is, is after 10 years of qualifying employment, qualifying payments, the whatever's remaining gets forgiven tax-free. So it cuts the time in half and it cuts the cost of paying back loans down by a significant amount compared to that taxable forgiveness. So anyone who's working for a nonprofit or government employer should definitely be exploring public service loan forgiveness. Um, but yeah, so those are the two main options that people, that, Physical therapists can get their loans
1: forgiven by. I have one more question, and then yeah, Gabby, sure. you can go. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Sarah. So, a professor and also um, a guest we had come in for a lecture one time had brought up a good point that I didn't actually realize until they said it, and now that I'm in a hospital setting, I've realized it is true for some hospitals if they are for profit or if sometimes the physical therapy portion of the hospital might be a different entity, or maybe that is the for-profit section of the hospital. So then Mm. they don't qualify. People think they qualify because they work for the hospital, which is not for profit, but they don't necessarily because the rehab portion of it is for profit. And have you run across that or? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, right. So there's a couple instances where that happens. Um, so yeah, the hospital can contract out the work, but it's, it's basically who, who directly pays the PT, who is directly paying you as a physical therapist. That's what the public service loan forgiveness would be based on. So even if someone works in a hospital setting, doesn't necessarily mean that they would qualify. And in fact, in California, there's, um, I don't think that, that they're allowed under the current rules to actually become like a W-2 employee of a hospital so none of them and under the current rules are eligible for public service loan forgiveness, except under special circumstances. So, yeah, we've seen that a lot. And sometimes when we do the consults, we have to kind of clarify that. They're like, oh, yeah, I work for a hospital. And then we vet it out a little bit and find out that unfortunately they don't they won't, don't qualify for that.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up because I actually haven't really talked to many people who've gone through that. So I'm glad to hear from you. And I just want to put that out there because I know that sometimes a big misconception, people like, oh, I'm going to go work at a hospital. I'm going to budget like where I'm going to go live based on the plan that I'm going to get student loan forgiveness. And it sometimes doesn't work out that way. So yes, that's what I wanted to say. And Gabby, you had a question. Sorry. (laughs)
0: No, that was a great question. And I'm so glad you clarified it. So for everyone who was like, what just happened? Rewind, because that was, you need to hear that. (laughs) Um, But I, so going off of that thought, I'm glad that you mentioned like the taxable, what's taxed and what's not, because that's, that's so important. And I feel like, especially as students and new grads, like you go through this exit, quote unquote, exit interview for federal loans, but you know, like reading through the fine print and figuring out what are, you know, what are the different, I don't know, there are so many different things going on. So
2: I was going to say too that, you know, for working in a hospital setting is not enough either If they're directly employed by the hospital, it has to be a full time um, arrangement. So it's basically like, you know, your employer has to sign off saying, yes, we are a nonprofit. And yes, you work full time, because eventually they're, They're going to have to sign this form called the employment certification form that verifies the payments that you've made on those income driven plans match with working full time at a qualifying employer. And so they take that employment certification form, match it up with a physical therapist's current payments, and then they will either say, yep, these payments qualify all 12 months, or or they'll say, none of them qualify, or they'll say, well, you, you worked full time for six months and part time for six months. So we'll give you six months credit toward the 120 months of public service loan forgiveness.
1: I think that's a good thing to bring up too, because I think this is something people assume it's like really easy to do. You know, I'm going to go to grad school and I'm going to get a doctorate. And I'm going to be in over six figures of student loans, but it's fine because eventually they'll be forgiven after 120 payments, but with a fine print that a lot of people ignore. So I appreciate you bringing that up.
2: Yeah, it's, it's totally confusing. I mean, number one is kind of like these Payment plans, it's kind of like an alphabet soup. You have P A Y E, you have R E P A Y E, you have IBR, and the overarching name of these plans is IDR, income-driven repayment. And so all these payment plans are close enough, but just different enough that it make it could make a difference depending on a bunch of other factors going on in someone's life. But to kind of close a loop on the public service loan forgiveness, basically there are three check boxes. All the loans, whether they're Stafford or Grad Plus. Have to be direct federal student loans, so issued after 2010. Pretty much all loans are direct federal loans. Full-time employment at a qualifying employer, and you have to be on an income-driven repayment plan. So if you check those three boxes, then that that will work towards 120 months.
1: So could somebody do that? Say, you know, a lot of students have the federal loans, but they also because you only qualify for so many federal loans and it doesn't cover enough for tuition and cost of living and all of this. So then they also have a private loan. So could they put it towards the federal loans and then the private loans, they have to figure out a different payment plan?
2: Yes, yeah. So the private loans is just like any other kind of debt where it has to be paid off in full. So we usually tell people to prioritize paying that back first because there's not a lot of flexibility there and you can get rid of those payments And the federal student loan payments, like I said, like you can design whatever career you want as a physical therapist. You can build your student loan plan around your career, whether you work in a hospital setting, qualifying for PSLF, whether you um, decide to start your own business or practice, whether you work for a private practice, you know, there's a student loan plan that will fit around. it. It's just a matter of finding the right one.
0: And that was my next question, because we do have students and even, you know, new grads who want to start their own Practice and right now, you know, cash base is becoming such a big thing. So for those students um, where they're not working under an employer, um, what is kind of the most common route that you would recommend that they go?
2: I would definitely say going on an income-driven repayment plan because starting up a business is pretty challenging in any area. And so, with physical therapists, obviously, you have to buy equipment. You might have to hire some staff. There's going to be a lot of costs upfront and ongoing. That will in the first couple of years will make the income of the business probably lower than it'll ever be. And the good news with, is with income driven repayment, like if someone has, you know, 30,000 of income in a year, 20 or, you know, less than that of like business profit and other income, they could stay on an income driven plan, but because their income is low enough that their payments would actually be zero. And those zero payments would count towards that 20 or 25 year loan forgiveness, which would be great. Cause again, we wanna keep the payments as low as possible and maximize the forgiveness. The other thing about being a business owner is you can set up your own retirement plan and the way that they calculate the way that the federal student loan program works or the repayment programs is they base the calculation of the payment around what's called adjusted gross income and adjusted gross income is like, so you have like this gross salary. So like when someone gives you an offer, they say, we're going to pay you 70,000 or 80,000 or whatever, that's your gross income. And then adjusted gross income is anything in terms of like health insurance, pre-tax retirement plans, and anything like that, any deductions there go towards, and then after that goes to AGI. So if like a more experienced PT is making 90,000 and they max out their pre-tax 401k, that's like a, that'll reduce their, it takes their 90,000 of gross income, makes it 70,000 adjusted gross income, this 90,000 minus the 20 that they're putting away pre-tax. And the calculation is based upon that $70,000 number, not the $90,000 number. So not only are they saving aggressively toward retirement, like building an awesome nest egg, but they're also lowering the cost of paying back their student loans along the way too. And when someone owns their business, they can not only make the employee contribution, they can make it the employer contribution, which sometimes could be over $50,000, depending on how successful the practice is. So there are a lot of benefits for, for being on an income-driven plan. Even if like the business is doing great, there are ways to lower the income legally to, by taking pre-tax retirement plan deductions and other business deductions, the cost of payment at the student loans, like very affordable. So this kind of goes to that point, right? Like whether you want to open up a practice or whether you work in a hospital setting to pay directly by the hospital or work in another private setting, there's a plan that you can, student loan plan that you can design around that.
1: And for the students who, this is kind of switching topics just a little bit, because right now we are, it is October, 2020, we're in a pandemic. There are a lot of students who are non-traditional. They've been out of school for a while. They're going back to school now, trying to figure it out. And then COVID hits. Maybe they have kids. Maybe they're now a one income household because they're in school and their partner is the only one making the money. And we've actually received a lot of messages from students who are like, well, my partner was laid off. I'm a student and we have a family. What would you recommend would be like next steps. I know this is maybe getting past the student loan part, but maybe just like finances in general, like what is something that students can do to help if they're in a situation like that?
2: Well, if someone is in a situation like that, it's obviously it's, it's, it's a tough for a lot of people out there, but if they're students and have access to student loans, honestly, I would just take out the student loans to support their family because, because of the flexibility of, of how to pay back the loans. it, It makes it. It does, it's not as bad to take out the federal student loans, especially if a family needs it if you got to put food on the table. Now I'm not saying go crazy and like live the lifestyle that you were when you were a dual income household or a single income household. but you know you can take out student loans to, to make sure that you can make it through this situ- this really tough situation we're all in. Um, so that would be one thing I would do is I would say don't be afraid to take out extra student loans to cover cost of living, but don't go overboard. Now for other people who who maybe have graduated and they're having a tough time with that, Again, with student loans, it's super flexible, like we're on the 0%, no payments right now. But even coming out of that, they can recertify their income, saying their income has dropped. So when the, when the payments turn back on, they can be lowered. But in general, I think it's just, you know, anytime there's any type of family stress or financial stress, it's always good to get down to the basics. What do we need? We need housing. You know, we need food. We need heat or air conditioning, depending on where you live. And let's just take, make sure we take care of all that stuff. And let's pare back on everything else. And if we have to dip into savings, if we have to go into debt temporarily to survive, I think it's okay. But just know that taking out like credit card debt or um, draining the bank account, eventually when things get back to normal, then that will have to be replenished. So any money that's taken out to help support some a family with no income, they have to be thinking about the game plan of what's going to happen when they have to turn around and pay it back. With federal student loans, it's different because it's totally flexible, but with other kinds of debt like equity loans or lines of credit, you know, credit card debt, that's a little bit, that's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point to make. And I want to touch on kind of the refinancing, because I know that's a hot topic word, if you want to say, because you see <laughs> refinancing everywhere. And can you explain, you know, a little bit about that? Um, just what is refinancing? And then for physical therapists, do you see more of that you know, after people graduate, when they have those conversations with the team?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll start off by saying that there are two words out there that are used interchangeably. One is consolidation, and the other one is refinancing. And there is a difference. So, And I know you probably understand this, but maybe for your listeners out there. So consolidation is when you take your federal loans and you just kind of, if you have 10 different loans or whatever, it smushes them into one, two, or three different kinds of loans. It simplifies the loan portfolio. There's other reasons to do it but it stays within the federal student loan program and those can still be on income driven repayment. When someone refinances their student loans, that's they're actually pulling them out of the federal system and it's being owned now by a private bank or a private entity. And once it's pulled out of the federal system, there's no going back. It has to be paid back in full, just like regular debt. Um, so there's no public service loan forgiveness. There's no taxable loan forgiveness and there's no income driven repayment once refinancing happens. So right now, actually, with the pandemic and everything, we're, we are not recommending anyone who has federal student loans to refinance right now because payments are zero, interest rate is zero on federal student loans. And we want to, we, that could go on forever. Congress could extend that even further. So right now, you know, even if someone owes less than they earn as a physical therapist right now, when maybe that would be a traditional refinancing case, right now we're telling everybody just stay put with the federal loan system. And save up as much money, build up, you know, pay off credit card debt if you have it, build up an emergency fund, stuff like that. Anyone who has private debt though already as part of their student debt already, they should definitely explore refinancing because if someone has interest rates in like the five, six, seven, eight plus range of private debt, rates right now are like in the fours and some in some cases in the threes percent range. So they're super duper low if people can qualify so anyone with private debt in those range should definitely go check it out. In fact, on our website we have some cashback bonuses depending on the debt amount, slash refi where you can, you know, there's like a whole bunch of different places people can look. So definitely look at refinancing that debt. And if someone is has private debt right now and they're having trouble making the payments due to the pandemic, they can refinance also to a longer term. So like let's say that someone has a $600 a month payment and it's just tight right now with their situation. But it's and it's a 10 year term they can refinance if they qualify for a 20 year term and have the payments go down to like in the 300s or maybe $400 a month to give them a little bit of a break. So eventually though, with private debt, we want to pay it back super aggressively. So I guess just to summarize, right? So private debt should always be looked to refinance to a lower interest rate, federal debt. We could refinance that if someone owes less than what they make and they don't work for a PSLF qualifying employer. um, um, and, but not during the pandemic. Let's wait till this gets behind us.
1: Good pieces of advice. <laughs> and <laughs> for the students, can you refinance? So say they're a current student. So I'm a current student and I have private loans because federal loans didn't cover enough for tuition and cost of living. So can I refinance as a student like during school or do I have to wait?
2: Yeah, typically not. The, you typically have to wait till you graduate in order to make that happen. I mean, maybe with rare exception, if someone has a spouse or someone who can co-sign on the loans for the refinancing or refinance them into someone else's name, but for the most part, it's usually best just to wait anyway. I would say just, you know, let's cross that bridge once you graduate. Um, But with private loans, again, we have to be careful of how much we're taking out in that because those don't have the flexibility.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a big question that I had. Gabby, do you have another question?
0: So specifically on if you do refinance, what are some of the criteria that they look for if you know that off the top of your head?
2: Well, they want to look at your debt to income. So they want to see how much debt you have out there compared to your income. So if someone has, you know, I'll give a wild example, but if someone has like 300,000 private debt and makes 50,000, chances are they're not going to get approved for refinancing. Now, physical therapists, they, they're probably, they're more in like a medium debt to income ratio compared to other six figure borrowers. So, you know, it could be one and a half to one or two to one, or, you know, like in some cases, three to one. So it just kind of depends on how much income history someone has. So probably a new graduate, if they have more than what they're making in private student loans, it's probably hard to refinance under that circumstance, but they could always refinance a piece. You don't have to refinance the whole chunk. You know, they can refinance 20,000 or 30,000 to get the interest rate burden off of them for that portion of the private loans. Um, But for the most part, when people are starting out, like at their career, whether they're making, you know, 60 ish thousand dollars as a new, as a new physical therapist, then if they have $170,000 of student debt, chances are they, they probably shouldn't look at refinancing on the federal, federal debt side.
1: It's a lot of information, but I'm loving it. I think if students are listening to this in the car, you guys should really, or if you're working out, we get messages all the time like, oh, I listened to you while my run today. You guys should listen to this, sit down and take notes when you are listening because you're going to want to come back to this. And I was just looking at your bio before our call here, and I know um, Maggie had sent over like you specialize in making plans for professionals with 200K to 400K of household student loan debt. And how is that different? I know we've talked about it a little bit here, but how is that different than students who maybe have less than six figures of student loans?
2: It it comes into play a little bit more in terms of the marriage situation. So there are some income driven plans where it, it could take the spouse's income, into the calculation. So, for example, if you have two physical therapists who get married, one has one hundred seventy thousand of student debt, the other one has zero. The reason I say one hundred seventy is the average student debt case we've seen for physical therapists is one hundred seventy thousand for the ones we've consulted on. Well, then if they have a household income of one eighty, and but the student debt household student debt is one seventy, then that could change the dynamic of their repayment strategy. Where when people owe a lot more than that. You know, the spousal income, it still makes sense to do income driven repayment. So, when we have people with lower, quote unquote, lower debt to income, right? Because there's still a lot of debt we're talking about. Generally, they could, they might be able to choose their own adventure in a way. It's like, hey, do you really want to get aggressive and pay off the debt? Like, if you can't, you can, you want to sacrifice, you can do that as a household. Or, you know, if you want to do, if you want to play the long game and make sure you're saving for your other financial goals along the way. We can do things to minimize your adjusted gross income and as a household, so that you can stay on the income driven plan, build your nest egg alongside of paying off the debt. So there's a lot more discussion. There's Now there's the financially optimal way, but but there's also like what feels best. And so, you know, sometimes people want to pay off all their debt and then build their investments. Other people say, well, you know, I, I kind of want to build up my investments alongside and my nest egg alongside of paying off the debt. So. When we get down into those debt ranges, there's a lot more refinancing scenarios. It's more of like a conversation based upon their personality type and how they like to approach the debt. But you know I also I mean I, I handle debt of all different ranges and but I also handle ones of 400,000 plus. And those require, you know, we are talking about like really advanced strategies, you know usually dual income dual debt households. So both spouses have student debt and significant student debt. So there are certain strategies that we can use within the student loan rules to help minimize the repayment there. So I guess that would be what would be different.
1: <laughs> that was great. And I have one more question too, because I'm gonna be in that boat in the future. I'm, And I know a lot of classmates too, like people get engaged during PT school, things happen, life is happening. it's very exciting, and then you look at the costs, you're about to graduate, you're not married yet, maybe. Uh, And you're looking at your personal student loans and your future spouse's student loans. And then you are also looking at the cost of a wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm glad that you brought up the lifestyle. Do you want to kind of save for a house? Do you want to save for all these other things or be super aggressive? That really wasn't a question, but I'm just talking out loud here because I just looked at my number today and I looked at my future spouse's number we're getting married next year. And I was also looking at the wedding budget too, (laughs) and it can be overwhelming. Do you have other resources? Here's my question. Besides the financial side of things, how do you recommend, if you recommend people kind of manage the financial stress, like the stress side of things while they're in school or as new grads?
2: Yeah, I guess it's kind of a mindset thing. I mean, um, student debt for physical therapists has gone up a lot as schooling has gone from two years to three years. And the cost of PT school is going up too. And the income has been kind of like staying around the same. It's been a little bit stagnant. So you have growing student loan debt as people graduate and like not stagnant wages, but pretty, you know, they haven't moved up as much as student loans have. But again, federal student loans, they have a, a bunch of flexibility. So the stress around that, I feel like, you know, you went into physical therapy school for a reason you went into PT school for a reason. And you just kind of have to like, keep your eye on that and do what you feel good about doing in your career and pursuing that path that you set out to do. This, like I said, the student loan rules under their, the way that they are currently, like they can build around that. So we've seen seven figure couples. Like I had a couple who had the biggest one I had that a couple who had a $1.4 million of combined household student debt. Um, they were dental specialists, but, and they were making good income, but not not that good. (laughs) So, but even for them, there's a way for them to pay back their student loans, you know? So I would say like any physical therapist who is feeling the stress of finances, the rules apply to like, number one, get a good solid emergency fund. You know, if you have credit card debt, pay off their credit card debt and build up the that those financial foundations, get the financial foundations set. The student loan payments can fit around everything else. But this, I think the stress, what I found is like couples feel the most stress when they don't feel like they have enough money and savings and then they, and then, or they have credit card debt and they kind of feel like they're juggling all these bills. So if they can clean, any couple can focus on cleaning those two things up and kind of table the student loan stuff, like get on track for the plan that you want. And then that way you have the clarity around that, and that, that sort of like the big elephant in the room with the student loans, the six figure student debt. There's a plan of attack for that. And we're good on that. Now, let's work on building up the foundations. So, you know, even though student loan rules are flexible, they still have to be paid attention to. But I would say, like, you know, long winded answer. But yeah, focus on those foundations, emergency fund, get out of credit card debt, even if it's 0%. You know, try to keep your transportation, your car expenses low and start building your nest egg. Because 10 years from now, after someone graduates and they're married, maybe they have a couple of kids, the next big stressor is I feel behind. I feel like I'm not where I should be. Based upon how much we've earned and how little we have saved up. So, but starting out at of school, you have the ability to start off on the right foot. So, get those foundation, financial foundations started. Start investing, you know, saving and investing in retirement plans for long-term growth, and let the student loan plan just kind of like do what it's going to do, and have the clarity around that.
0: That's super helpful. And I think after you know everything that we said, that that really helps is just getting that foundation right. And I think it it definitely puts into perspective, and it's. Actionable steps that students can have now, and I think it's awesome um, that you're able to just lay that out. But this is an amazing conversation. Like I'm just so blown away by it. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about um, your podcast and what have been kind of like the biggest, I guess, topics or um, biggest things that you guys have have had questions about recently.
2: Sure. Well, with on the student loan planner podcast, you know, we, there's times where we take Q and a, so we'll have people submit questions and we'll answer them. And a lot of people, I mean, for a long time, obviously we had to do with this cares act and like how this affects student loan repayment and what's the government going to do next. Um, which we don't know. (laughs) It kind of, we have to get through November slash December, you know, until we actually know what's going to happen, I think at this point. But what we do know is that, Well, yeah, I was going to talk about the the government and program changes, but I'd say what a lot of people are talking about is everyone has a unique situation. So some people are married, some people aren't. Some households have one person with student debt, some have two. Um, Some people have different job opportunities, some people want to change careers. And so the questions are really typically unique to someone's situation. But a lot of what we try to cover are just sort of like general guidelines. And when we take those specific questions, we can answer them. I mean, we have questions like, I'm thinking about moving, you know, I just moved to to the UK with my spouse and how do I handle my student loan payments while I'm, you know, over there? So we get all sorts of interesting questions because everyone's situation is unique. I don't know if that answered your question or not, but
0: <laughs> no, it does. That's, that's really interesting. And how to, how to tackle that if you are moving to another country.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we try to handle, we try to have conversations around, there's a lot of professions that when people graduate, they have six figures of student debt. So they're physical therapists, chiropractors, doctors, dentists, you know, attorneys, pretty much any graduate level professional is going to graduate with six figure student debt at this point, assuming they don't, you know, have a parent that can pay for it or, you know, stuff like that. So what we try to do is through our podcasts and through our online content is we try to get really specific with certain professional degrees, like like a DPT, right? So like if you go to the student loan planner website and you go to our blog posts, we have I think it's over 20 articles specific, specific to physical therapists and how they can approach student loans and you know, what happens if you graduated from USC and you know, what happens if you graduated from you know, a less expensive school and what are the best type of loans to take out and how do I approach it? Should I go into private practice? So we, we try to help people in their current profession because we could give blanket advice with student debt, but really the career choices that different professions have are different. So um, we get a lot of questions across the board and we want to help all those different graduate level professions tackle student loans based upon their career prospects, you know, their employment prospects and their specific pain points and solutions that they need to pay back their student loans efficiently.
1: I like that you brought up different professions too cuz sometimes we can get caught up and feel like oh my gosh, physical therapy is the only profession going through this horrible like debt to income ratio, it's unfair, all these things that are coming to mind. But how have you guys seen maybe physical therapy is similar to the other professions in terms of like debt to income ratios? And then also how is it kind of unique as well?
2: It's a good question.
1: I ask because we get this question a lot. People are like, well, I wanted to go to med school, but you know, it's an extra, I don't know, five, seven years on top of PG school. So I don't know if it's really worth it or, you know, all of these things because all the health professions could seem really close together, but it's hard to decide based on what people really like to do and also based on what's financially best for them.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, well, number one, there's over 3 million people with six-figure student debt out there. So physical therapists are not alone. I would say in terms of where physical therapists rank in terms of six-figure debt that we consult with are definitely on the lower end of the six figure range compared to other professions that we consult with, you know, chiropractors can graduate with over 200,000 veterinarians, over 200,000 doctors and the 300 to 300,000 dentists and dental specialists are in the 400,000 range. Now, some of these professions can earn more than a physical therapist can, but really like chiropractors and veterinarians they are kind of like in a similar income situation, but they usually graduate with more debt than physical therapists do. And physical therapists have options like working for a nonprofit and qualifying for PSLF where like a veterinarian wouldn't and a chiropractor wouldn't. So physical therapists in in the scheme of like the professions that have six figure student debt and the ways to pay them back, I'd say they are probably in one of the better boats. Doctors are usually in that position too because they can either go into private practice or go work in the hospital too. And they have more student debt, but they also have usually higher average income And they also have more PSLF opportunities. So, but, but I'd say like physical therapists, they're kind of, you're kind of like right in line, like you're probably right in line with like pharmacists sort of, where pharmacists have like mid to high $100,000 debt that they graduate with. Typically they earn like typically around what a physical therapist makes sometimes a little bit more, but you know, they have, they're more part-time opportunities. There's a lot of structural change in pharmacy right now. So anyway, I would say like physical therapists, they're in about as good of a situation As you could be for having six figure student debt compared to other professions out there.
1: Somewhat comforting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We still look at it and it's still uncomfortable to look at. And of course, this is coming from this perspective of, you know, you handle a lot of debt. And Mm -hmm. as an isolated student going into PT school, they can feel like, oh my God, is this like, is this ethical is what comes to mind. I don't know another word, like, should I be doing this? And they have all these questions. So I think it's very nice to hear from you and your perspective and experience with it. I
2: I think schools, you know, they're not very transparent about this, if I'm being honest, because why would they be, you know, they don't, a lot of people would not end up going to graduate school if they knew what it could look like at the end. Now people are getting wise to that, but I would just say, I mean, you got to start with the end in mind, right? So Start knowing I'm going to graduate with between $100,000 and 200 thousand dollars of student debt most likely. Is this career path worth it to me? And if the answer is no, then find something else to do. Honestly, you know. But if the answer is yes, or if you're in the middle of it, well, the student loan rules, like I said, they're flexible. Like we can we can make a plan that's going to build it around. Like it's not irreversible, but there's ways to make it very palatable, even for a PT who's earning ninety thousand dollars. If they're on an income driven plan, they got 170 thousand dollars of student debt. Their payment on their student loans only has to be like $500 a month on an income-driven plan. If they try to aggressively pay it off in 10 years, it might be like $1700 a month. So, start with the end in mind and also understand that the student loan rules are flexible enough, but you also have to like realize that hey, if I'm taking this on, there's probably an extra level of financial responsibility after graduating that I need to do. I really need to make sure I'm saving for the future. Um, this is not a career having six figure student debt, even though the loans are flexible that we can just like you know live it up, right? We still have to be financially responsible as much as we can be.
0: That is amazing, and that is really great advice for for a lot of people because then you think you know when you graduate and saying like, oh, why is the debt to income ratio you know so so frustrating? And just to what you what you just said of, you have to have that financial literacy and responsibility. And I think that's really important, especially for, you know, for physical therapy profession um, speaking, but, you know, like we talked about other professions as well. So that was amazing advice.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people used to think that for people that are more recently graduated PTs, like millennials, for example, they're not financially responsible, but actually if you look at all the studies show that like from a, from like a like a budgeting perspective and financial responsibility and financial independence that millennials, people that have are in PT school or maybe have graduated within the last 10 years, extremely financially responsible because they have the student debt that they have to you know juggle too. So there's, there is an upside. And if the upside of having student debt means that you kind of take your finances more seriously after graduating and you're able to save a little bit more and and make, you know, spending choices that are in, in line with your values and priorities, rather than just not even thinking about spending, then that's, I'd say that's a good thing. You know, student debt can really be one of those things. It's kind of like, like with time, like if someone is not busy at all, they'll do all sorts of stuff, you know? But if someone is like, they got school, you know, they got a job or maybe they have kids, it makes time more precious and they tend to treat it like a much more valuable resource. And I think the the same is true for graduating with six figure student debt, people treat money a lot more responsibly because of it. And that's, that's an upside.
1: There's always a silver lining and I have actually <laughs> never thought of it that way. And I really appreciate that. That was great.
2: You no, know, I'm, I'm a silver lining guy.
1: <laughs> and that's usually the last question we ask. The biggest question is like, what piece of advice would you have for a current student physical therapist, and I know you touched on a lot, but if you had to give anything different, anything you would add for a current student physical therapist, for, it doesn't have to be financial, whatever, one piece, one piece of advice.
2: Yeah, well, that's a good question. So I would say, and this is coming from the, the family budget expert, that part of my business side, but you know, to me, like, and even at student loan planner, we talk about this too, but savings rate is the number one predictor of financial success. You can have doctors who earn multiple six figures and they don't have anything to show for it after working for 20 years. And then you can have, you know, people on the, on like the making 40, 50,000 that can end up retiring millionaires. And the difference is the savings rate. So, and the way that I think about savings rate, I'm not like a, like a FIRE movement. I don't know if you're familiar with FIRE, like financial independence or retire early. That's not my thing. I think Travis is really into that. But like the thing is like, you got to figure out how you want to live your life and how you want to spend your money in line with your values and priorities and cut out all the waste. Like there's no need to waste money on things according to what you believe is important and what you believe is valuable. And by doing that, it ends up that like the savings rate, you get to keep spending on the stuff that you care about and that matters most to you. But then you also spend less money in general because you're not wasting it according to you. So I would say like that savings rate and making sure that always focusing as income grows on that. So I'd say like if there's one tangible rule, um, I call it the 50-50 rule. So let's just say that there's, you know, a PT starts out making 65,000 or something like that. And as their income grows, maybe they can't save anything at the moment because they're getting situated with their life or whatever. The 50-50 rule works like this. So this is probably like, I guess the, the rule that will be this best advice I could give. <laughs> so the way that it works is any increase in income, whether it's a, a tax refund or a bonus check or you know a salary raise or anything, a gift, feel free to spend at least half of that. But take the other half and make sure that it's being put towards net worth building activities like paying down debt, investing in retirement plans, or just building up the, the emergency fund. Because money that's spent that doesn't build net worth. Money that's saved, invested, or paid back debt with that builds net worth. But the problem is, is that people t- typically tend to grow their spending right into their income. So they make more, they spend more. You know, I'm sure you've heard of people that they get like a maybe like a $2,000 tax refund and they go buy a new car which costs like $25,000, or they say, "Oh, I got $2,000 now, and now I can buy something that's $3,000." But if they just said, "Let's put a thousand of this away towards our financial future." and let's spend a 1,000 of it. And as income grows, that can really boost people's savings rate and help them really reach financial independence no matter where they're starting at. So 50-50 rule is what I call it. Um, And that would be, I guess, the best advice that I could give to help people make sure that they can live their life and increase their lifestyle, but also make sure they are building their financial future at the same time.
0: So good, the 50-50 rule. Everyone, re-listen to that, and it's so key. And we don't learn this in school, And that's why we bring, you know, so many, so many people on and Rob, it has just been so great to have you on and we've learned so much and I know everyone listening will learn as well. So we talked about uh, student loan planner, where can they find you on social media, all the places where you're at?
2: Yeah, I think studentloanplanner.com is the best place to start. There's all sorts of great resources for physical therapists. There's um, like I said, the blog post specific to that. You all there's resources you can download our calculator, you can you know take a look at what our console process looks like. That's the best place to go on the budget side. You know, I've a company called Family Budget Expert. That's familybudgetexpert.com. That's where we talk about the 50-50 rule and all that stuff. Um, so but yeah, those are the two places to find us, and greatly appreciate. I think Sarah and Gabby, you, you both are doing such amazing things for the physical therapy world and appreciate you having me on and happy to help any way I can.
1: Oh, it was such an honor to have you on. Thank you so much. We'll have to do like an update episode where you know you and Travis come on together and we can mm-hmm. talk more after we graduate and try to figure out life. So that would be yeah. great to see you guys again.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be great to see the both of you too.
1: Awesome.
0: Thank you again. And we'll see you soon, I'm sure. Yes. Bye, Rob. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah,
2: yeah you too. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to
1: Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists.
0: If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description. Looking for a gift for
1: a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really
0: anyone? Physio Memes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code GRATITUDE, spelled G R A D I T U D E 220.
1: And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh.
0: As always, make life humorous.